All right. Hey, let me, uh, if you did not get a copy of that green and white piece of paper that has the sermon notes on it, Jaron has some copies back here. If you didn't get a copy, just raise your hand and Jaron will, uh, will get one of those to you. If you have a Bible with you this morning, if you would open to Matthew chapter 7 in your Bible this morning, we're going to have some scripture on the screen behind us in just a minute when we get to that, that portion. But if you have maybe the, the Bible on your phone or you have a copy in front of you and you want to have that open, Matthew chapter 7 is where we're going to be, uh, where we're going to be this morning. Let me tell you up front uh, why things feel a little bit different here this morning. One week out of the year, one Sunday out of the year, we have what we call serve day. And so we have an 8.30 a.m. worship service, um, which we had, we had this morning. And then we send our people out into the community to serve at people's homes. So we're cleaning out flower beds. Uh, we've connected with some neighbors in, in the community around us. One of our neighbors, uh, Jim Lehu, who is our associate pastor and helps with missions, and he preached here last week. Jim went up to a, a lady's house in the neighborhood nearby, and she said, I know this sounds like an exaggeration, but I have not been in my backyard in six years. Um, and so we've sent some people this morning into her backyard, uh, first person in her backyard in six years. Um, so she said the day before the city showed up and told me I had to do something about my property, and you walked up the next day and, and offered to bring a group of people to my, to my house. And so um, another situation that is one of those just uh, heartbreaking times of somebody living by themselves, hadn't had anybody come to their house in a very long time. Jim walked up to their house, said, hey, we want to send a group of people to your house. And so we've got people all around the community um, doing that this morning. This is one of, of my favorite days of the year that we have a chance to be a, a part of uh, here, here at Emmaus. Also, I get a preaching a t-shirt, which I would do 52 weeks a year anyway, but uh, it's also a good, a good reason to do that. One of the parts of the story for Emmaus, if you're not familiar with, with this church family, is a couple of years ago, following the 2013 tornado, and then again following the 2015 tornado, Emmaus hosted more public school elementaries here in our facility. Um, this was before I was here, but in both of those tornadoes, and gosh, with the weather report tomorrow, you hate to even think about, you know, doing it again, but we're on call with more public schools, should we ever have to do that again. Um, but twice, Emmaus has hosted elementary schools here in our building. One of the things I love about Emmaus that I tell people uh, when I'm talking about our church is when you have property, when you have buildings like this available, I would feel terrible if our buildings sat here empty all week long and we just used them, you know, two hours a week. I can assure you our buildings do not sit empty. In fact, they're used seven days a week. We have people in here constantly in our facilities using them for different community projects, different things going on. I love all those things about Emmaus. And I love this serve day that we participate in. But here's what I told the people this morning before they went out on serve day. Serve day is dangerous. And I don't mean like you're going to, you know, hit your foot with the shovel or hit your 
thumb with a hammer. It's dangerous that way. I'm sure somebody will get injured this morning um, on serve day. But it's not just dangerous to your body. Serve day can be dangerous to your soul. What do you mean by that, Owen? Your church has had a chance to host elementary schools. You minister to the community. You send people into neighborhoods. What do you mean that serve day can be dangerous to your soul? Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is the word of the Lord. And it's a hard word uh, this morning. So our church has been going through a series of sermons in what is called the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is Matthew, first book of the New Testament, and then chapters 5, 6, and 7. In fact, we're in an entire series. Uh, if, if you're excited about a church that's involved in, uh, involved in the community, and that's what you really want to get involved with, we're going all the way through the book of Matthew. So you can just keep trekking with us in, in the weeks to come. But we're in the Sermon on the Mount this morning. And the way the Sermon on the Mount is set up, it kind of helps to see a framework. And so up here on the screen, if you guys can bring up that slide to give you an idea of how the Sermon on the Mount works. Chapter 5, verse 3 through verse 16, is the who. So who is Jesus talking about when you're talking about the Sermon on the Mount? Who makes up the kingdom of heaven? And he addresses that question in chapter 5, verses 3 through 16. That's the who. Chapter 5, verse 17, all the way through chapter 7, verse 12, is the what. What does it look like to be a part of the kingdom of heaven? And so it's laid out there, this is what it looks like if you're part of the kingdom of heaven. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Then, at the very end, and we're going to take two weeks to look at these final verses, this week and then next week as well, but that final section from verse 13 to verse 27 answers the why. In other words, why is this a big deal? Why does Jesus say you need to be a part of the kingdom of heaven? Why does Jesus say it matters the way that we live our lives? Why is it such a big deal? The reason it's such a big deal is those final verses up there are a part of what in the Bible is called two ways theology or two ways teaching. What that means is the Bible will lay out and say this is the way that leads to life and this is a way that leads to death. If you want to see the prime example of this in your Bible, it's in the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. Proverbs is full of this two ways language. This way leads to life, this way leads to death. But that's exactly what Jesus does at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. The reason that matters, the reason that matters, is whether or not you follow Jesus down the way of life, or reject Jesus and go down the way that leads to death, is not like you're just picking your favorite religion. Or it's not like you're just picking your favorite ice cream. This is a matter, literally, Jesus says, of life or death. This is the way that leads to life. This is the way that leads to death and destruction. These verses, the reason they are such a big deal 
is because they are deeply humbling, deeply serious verses to know that this is the way that leads to life. This is the way that leads to death. Now the question is, how do we know which way are, we're headed? We'll go back to verse 21. This is why serve day can be so dangerous, is in these verses here. Back to verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So in other words, remember, two ways. There's a way that leads to life, a way that leads to the kingdom of heaven, and there's a way that leads away from the kingdom of heaven, ultimately to to destruction. Here's what Jesus is saying. You can be a person who knows all the right religious words. You know the religious language. You know how to speak churchies. Um, You you know how to, to do that. And you think because you know the religious words and you say the right religious words, that means that you're heading down the path of life. But Jesus says it's possible to say religious words and not be going down the path that leads to life. How is that possible? How could you cry out, Lord, Lord, and yet not enter the kingdom of heaven? Well, a lot of the answer comes from what you find earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. Earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, you find a group of people called the Pharisees, who Jesus will call the hypocrites, and so they'll use religious language to make themselves look good, or to draw attention to themselves, or try to hold up their religious position, but it's just words. There's no actions to match it. There's no heart change to make it, that's made. It's just religious words because this is what you say if you're a religious person. Um, those of you who maybe have not grown up in church, I, I grew up in church. My wife did not. So she provides a great perspective of, Owen, oh, you're just speaking church language that nobody understands what you're saying. Um, we were talking earlier just uh, before the service started that, uh, you know, if you're from the South, you learn to say y'all or if there's a bunch of you, you say all y'all, apparently. I learned that this morning. Um, there's this language that you speak that immediately when you hear it, you're like, oh yeah, I know where that person's from. If we're not careful in church, we have a particular type of language that we learn to speak that says to people, oh yeah, don't worry, I'm okay, I'm a religious person. And Jesus says, be careful about that. This idea that I would call out, Lord, Lord, but it's for my own purposes. Here's the other reality Just before these verses, and this is something we're going to talk about next week, Jesus talks about false prophets. It's possible to use certain religious words, but just because you use a word doesn't mean you mean the same thing as somebody else who uses that word. In our world today, people can use religious language, but by that language, they don't mean that they're talking about the God of the Bible the God who brings salvation through Jesus Christ. And so when we use religious language, we need to be very clear about what we're talking about. So you have this comment here in verse 21, Lord, Lord, here's something helpful. That same phrase, Lord, Lord, shows up another time in the book of Matthew, and it's in chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells a parable about 10 virgins. Five of the virgins were wise, and they prepared for the coming of the master. Five of the virgins are called foolish. They didn't think it was that important to get prepared. They just went about life, didn't really worry about what was going to come in the future. Afterward, those other virgins who are called in this parable, those who were foolish, those other virgins came saying, Lord, Lord, 
open the door to us. That language sounds familiar. That's Matthew chapter 7. But Jesus answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. If that sounds familiar, that also comes from Matthew chapter 7 that we just read before. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So Jesus says there's a way that you can use this language, but it's not language that reaches out to him in faith. What does it look like to say Lord, Lord in a way that really does bring salvation, that really does bring life? And there's a beautiful verse out of Romans chapter 10 that speaks to this. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the type of confession where you use, you, you confess Jesus as Lord, 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 and it comes from a place of faith. You're not trying to impress anyone. You're not trying to put on a religious show. You're not using language because you were taught to use that language when you were growing up. You're calling out to him as Lord because you believe that he defeated sin and you believe that he defeated death and that in him is found life. And so it's a calling out of faith. It's a calling out of hope, not a calling out of, hey, watch me check out the religious box because I know church people are supposed to say this and I want to make sure my grandma feels good about the fact that I'm in church. It's not that. It's coming from a heart that completely confesses Jesus as Lord and believes that he has defeated sin and death. So that takes us back to verse 21 again. How does verse 21 end? It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. What does it mean to do the will of the Father who is in heaven? When you take the book of Matthew, and really when you stretch it out, and particularly, we don't have time right now, but in the near future as a church family, we're going to spend time in the book of First John because it addresses this so closely. What does it mean, though, to do the will of the Father who is in heaven? First, it means belief in Jesus as the Son of God who came to defeat sin and defeat death. That's First John chapter 3 language. It means care and love for others. Matthew 25 that we looked at earlier Jesus addresses two groups of people there. One group of people, he says, you brought food to me when I was in prison. You visited me. You clothed me. And the people say, I don't remember doing that for you, Jesus. And he said, well, actually, you did it for me when you did it for the least of these, when you did it for those who were in need, when you had care and love for other people. Hear me out on this. Religion that is all about building up ourselves or all about building up our church, our institution, is dangerous religion. God says, if you truly know what it is to do my will, you will believe in Jesus, the Son of God, and then that will be evident by the way you treat others, by the love you have for the people in your neighborhood, by the love you have for that coworker that you have a terrible time getting along with, the love you have for that family member that drives you crazy. That is where the kingdom of God starts to show up, is in those opportunities. And then you're seeking, by his power, to live a life of holiness and obedience, a life that shows God has transformed my life from the inside out. So that's where verse 21 takes us. Now look at verse 22, because if verse 21 is hard, verse 22 is 10 times harder. Verse 22, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? 
and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name. Now when it says on that day, it's talking about the day of judgment, the day that we would all stand before the Creator, all stand before the Lord. On that day, Jesus says, many will say to me as the judge, many will say to me as the Creator of the entire universe, Lord, Lord, there's our words again, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Prophesy? cast out demons, do many mighty works, that's like Christianity 3.0, not just 2.0. That's serious super Christian type stuff that, that you're doing. That's the type of actions that have all the appearances of the work of the Holy Spirit. Those are the type of things that if you did those, people will look at you and say, man, that person is really spiritual. That person is really religious. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not attend a church that hosted elementary schools? Did we not clean out flower beds for our neighbors in your name? Did we not attend church faithfully every week in your name? Did we not do these things that outwardly look so good and so religious, and so spiritual. And then you have verse 23. I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Do you feel the weight of that? That by all appearances, a person could look incredibly spiritual, incredibly religious, even doing the things that Jesus and his disciples did. And on the day of judgment, Jesus would look at you, and better than saying, look at you, look at me, could look at it and say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. Man, that's weighty. Like, that's one of those things, like, if you run past it too fast, you don't, you don't get the full force of it. Because think about, the world that we live in, particularly a place like Oklahoma in, in 2019, where there's still just a little bit of social pressure to look religious and look spiritual and keep up this appearance that, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. When you have that pressure, what does it mean to stand before the Lord and he would say, I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you. We were never in that type of, of relationship. Here's the key. Those words in italics up there, this is a really, really cool point in the Bible. Jesus is pulling from a psalm in the, New or in the Old Testament. He's pulling from Psalm chapter 6. And to understand how we can deal with the weight of this verse, we have to understand Psalm chapter 6, verses 8 and 9. If you guys would bring up those verses, Psalm chapter 6, 8 and 9. Depart from me, the psalmist says, all you workers of evil. Does that sound familiar? Yep, that's exactly what we saw in, in Matthew 7. So we know that Jesus is pulling from this psalm. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. 
Okay, watch what happens here because this is one of those amazing points in the Bible where everything kind of comes together. The Sermon on the Mount began with the phrase, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then the very next phrase in chapter 5, verse 4, was blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Then Jesus gets to the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, be very careful that you don't live a life that looks good on the outside, but is not right with me on the inside. And at that very moment, he quotes from Psalm chapter 6, which is a psalm that tells us that those who are truly servants of the Lord are those who have humbled themselves completely before the Lord. Who is a servant of the Lord? Who is able to stand before the Lord? The Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. Here's how we get out of that tangled mess of those verses that we looked at earlier. Here's the answer. Dangerous religion is religion of pride that says, look at me. I know the right words to say. Look at me and all my oppressive religious acts that I've done. Do you see the danger with that? Religion that brings salvation and that brings life through Jesus Christ is when we come humble before the Lord and we say, my only hope is in you. The signs of danger are when, you know, I haven't done anything, but I do know the right words to say. So, don't really participate in church much, but if asked, I can at least tell people that I went to vacation Bible school when I was little, or my family is connected to a church, and I can make the religious people go away because I know the right words to say. But I haven't done anything. There's no change in my life. That's, that's a dangerous place to be. Or, I've done everything. You wouldn't believe what my spiritual resume looks like. Like, I can be anybody when it comes to impressive spiritual feats, but I don't have a relationship with the Lord. It's just done to keep up appearance, or it's just done because I feel the pressure to check off this religious box, and there's no true heart change. There's no true humility before the Lord. So if that's what we don't want to do, where's the hope? If you come in here this morning and say, Owen, I've really been beaten up this week by life. I don't need to be beaten up again. This is not about being beaten up. This is about a caution against a very serious danger, but then also a path of incredible hope and freedom. Here's the two signs of hope that come from these verses. If you guys would bring up that next slide real quick. The two signs of hope. Deep humility with faith in Christ and repentance of sin. How do I know that I'm on a path of life? How do I know what it means to be a part of the kingdom of heaven? It comes from a place of absolute brokenness and humility before the Lord that says, I know I battle with sin. I know all about my past. I can never get my life together on my own. My only hope is in you. I have all this guilt. I have all this fear. I have all this shame. My only hope is in you, Lord. And so I turn from that, and I trust in you, and I cry out to you from a place of humility. That's when we say, Lord, Lord, in a way that brings salvation and life. Because I'm not putting on a show for anybody. I don't care what anybody else thinks. or what. All I know is my only hope is in Jesus. 
that he has defeated sin, he has defeated death, and I am turning to him for life and salvation. And when I do that, it leads to joyful obedience to God's will and love for others. Because I've been humble before the Lord, and because he's changed my life from the inside out, now I'm set free to care for people, to love people. Now I can participate in serve day because I know I'm not trying to keep up a show. I'm doing it because of what God has done in my life. If you're a part of Emmaus, or God leads you to be a part of Emmaus, I hope that next year you're able to participate in serve day. I hope you jump in a couple of weeks from now and you're involved in Vacation Bible School and we have a ton of things that we do during the summer to reach out to our neighbors and to to our community. But I hope you do those things from a place of deep humility before the Lord, starting there. Lord, I trust you. I'm committed to you. Only you bring salvation to life. And as a result of that, you're set free to love and care for and serve the people around you with the result that when you stand before the Lord, he says, yes, I know you. You're my child. I've saved you. Come. Come to a place of eternal life and a place of eternal hope. Serve day can be dangerous to your soul, but it is one of the most fun things to participate in when you've been set free by the power of Jesus. Here in just a minute, I'm going to pray for us. After I pray for us, we're going to stand up and we're going to sing a song together about being known by God, that hope that we find here in these verses. We're going to sing that song. While we sing that song, we're going to pass our offering plates around. If you're a guest of ours and you have that prayer card or that guest card and you want to put that in the offering plate, you're going to be able to do that during that song. Let me tell you this because this is particularly important. When that final song is finished and you're dismissed to go and grab one of those Bible reading books on your way out, I stay down here at the front. David will be down here at the front as well. If we can pray with you, if you have things going on in your life right now that you say, you know what, I just need somebody to talk to. I've got spiritual questions. I need someone to pray with me right now. We want to be able to do that for you. Jaren will be down here as well. We'll have people down here as soon as that final song is finished. We would love to be able to meet you, love to be able to pray with you. All right, let's pray together right now, and then we're going to stand up and sing our final song. Fathers, we read through these verses from the Sermon on the Mount. There are some very, very hard things to, to address God, this idea that I know the temptation of so badly that, that we would grow up and we would know certain words that we're supposed to say because they're church words or we're, we're tempted to, to put on some sort of right exterior. We want to look a certain way so people will think that we're okay and even though we know below the surface things are just a mess. God, help us to have the freedom to know we don't have to keep up that type of exterior. We don't have to put on a show. We don't have anybody to impress. Our only hope is to come before you in humility because you give life and you give forgiveness and you give salvation that comes only from you. 
God, I love being a part of a church that has something like Serve Day. I love being a part of a church that loves our elementary schools, that loves our community, that's involved in the world around us. But God, help us to do that from a place of faith and trust in you and not from a place of trying to impress anyone. Our only hope here is to serve you. God, thank you for the joy that comes from being known by you, from being loved by you. God, help us to sing that fully right now as we give ourselves to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.